Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 33, where we chat with Kat Stark. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right, so Kat, who are you? Um, my name is Kat Stark. Uh, I'm an author and a blogger, a podcaster, a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm bisexual, I'm polyamorous, and um, I'm Canadian and queer. Cool. That's All right. Probably good descriptors. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so, what drew you to polyamory? Well, we sort of fell into it by accident, really. Um, my partner and I have been together for like 25 years now. And just sort of around our 20 year wedding anniversary time, we, we were just looking for some more adventures and decided, you know what, like, let's, let's see what we find. Let's maybe try a sex club. Let's maybe have a threesome. And that just really snowballed quickly. <laughs> um, so it had, it had never really been our intention to become like polyamorous as such. We were just kind of looking for some fun times, but yeah, we just ended up meeting people and our lives just changed quite significantly. Nice. So what exactly does polyamory mean to you? Oh, it sort of means really kind of whatever it means to whoever it means it to, really. <laughs> um, the kind of polyamory we practice is, yeah, it's it's pretty casual. I wouldn't say it's it's hierarchical, but, you know, we are married for a very long time. We have a mortgage. We have cats. We, you know, this sort of thing. So obviously our relationship is going to be different than a brand new relationship, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we're prioritizing in a way that it would be cruel or hurtful. Like everybody gets to make their own decisions and, and that sort of thing. So it it's not hierarchical, but there is reality involved. Right. Um, I like that so, caveat. Yeah. Like it's, if, if there was some sort of crisis with, with one of my other partners or one of my partner's partners, you know, we would prioritize that. But if, you know, if there was a crisis for one with one of us, we would prioritize that. Like it's, you know, we, yeah, I'm, I'm very pragmatic and very reality based. And so getting to like, people can get very philosophical about it and get so caught up in the philosophy that they sort of forget what real life actually does to relationships. I think that is a great point. Um, so what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? I would say that my partner is more like polyamorous than I am. And so really for me, I'm kind of more in it for the sex, which you're not supposed <laughs> to admit, but I really am. Um, I have had some love relationships while we've been open like this, but really that is not sort of my end goal. Um, and if it happens, it happens. I've had my heart broken pretty badly uh, through this process. And so I must admit, I'm pretty gun shy about it. And 
Yeah, so I'm really about the sex, and he is much more. He has, like, three long-term girlfriends that are, like, these, you know, intense love relationships, and I don't have, I mean, obviously, he and I have that, but um, that's not the kind of relationships that um, I've really established or am looking for. So when did you know you were polyamorous? Again, I'd say it kind of, you know, it kind of happened by by accident. I think once we admitted that we were interested in having sex with other people, like we sort of started with like a threesome and then kind of tried swinging and then just try, you know, tried this and that kind of just winging it as we went. Um, and once we sort of admitted that we were we were both interested in other people, I really looked back at a lot of my previous behaviors and saw how much I actually wanted open relationships and sort of boundary crossing with friends and that sort of thing, how much appeal that really had to me. And so it really, I didn't sort of officially know until about three years ago, uh, four years ago. Um, and, but sort of as I look back, it's probably always been a theme. Um, when we were first married, I had a chance to explore a bit with my bisexuality because we got together when we were like 20. So I hadn't really had any opportunities for that. And I wasn't one of these lucky people who had like all the college experiences or all the high school, like dating, um, you know, dating girls and all that kind of stuff. That just wasn't my world, perhaps just because I'm older than a lot of the people that have gotten into this. But um yeah, when I look back at a lot of that, I sort of see this theme that was present, but I just didn't actually know it was present. That actually ties very nicely into the next question, which is, uh, <laughs> when, if ever, did you feel different? Yeah, well, it really wasn't until my 40s that I actually truly felt comfortable with the idea of us exploring other things. I... I mean, I guess I was in my 20s when I got to explore other things with women, but I would never have been okay with him in that situation, um, having relationships with other women. Uh, I was way too insecure at the time. And once I, once I got into my 40s and just like really came into myself in a way that I, that I didn't, I just wasn't able to achieve in my younger years. And I realized like how awesome I am and just how like, I just, I got grounded and I knew myself and all of these things. And once I was there, I was able to see it in a way that I couldn't when I was younger. So yeah, up until sort of my forties, I, I felt very monogamous. So where are you, um, in your poly journey? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's really hard to say. I, I mean, we're, we've only been at it for about four years, so we're still probably, you know, kind of noobs. Um, but we started it a lot older than a lot of people. So we sort of have that grounding and that our long-term relationship to kind of balance things out in some ways. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know, like somewhere in the middle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anywhere that you hope to go in your poly journey? Hmm. You know, I don't know. I, as I said, I just, I 
have really had my heart broken and I've had a hard time bouncing back from that. So it's very hard for me to sort of imagine having sort of other like loving relationship partnerships. Um, so for the moment, you know, I'm just at a place where I'm, I'm sort of looking for, you know, for sexy fun times, uh, even though that isn't really the typical polyamorous quote unquote lifestyle, um, but that's what's working for me right now um, while I'm involved with someone who, you know, has regular date nights and that sort of thing with his people. Do you identify more as a swinger? Not as a swinger. Um, it, like, I just sort of, I feel non-monogamous or open sure. or, you know, like those, like, I am polyamorous because I'm involved with someone who who has other loved people and I you know I have had that in my past so you know it's not that I'm incapable of that mm -hmm. but it's just it's just not where I am right now sure. that makes a lot of sense and actually I loved your comment about the sort of feeling of being uh, getting how amazing you are in your 40s mm -hmm. um, I had a similar experience of like really somewhere in my early to mid 40s the amount that I give a shit about what other people think suddenly plummeted and it's been so freeing and amazing. Yeah. It, it's a fascinating thing because yeah, you stop and you know, I'm, I'm pretty anxious. And so I, you know, I find that I do still care what people think, but I'm really like, I just understand myself in a way that I don't let that judgment affect me in the same way. And that I'm able to sort of let a lot of that bounce off me that, you know, I want people to, you know, to like me and to think good things and stuff like that. But if they don't, it's a lot easier for me to just say, well, that's okay. That's you. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing because I definitely care. I can't say that I don't care. That's fair. Um, but I just, yeah, I just like, I just, I just know I'm really awesome. Most days. That's <laughs> fantastic. So why do you think you are Polly? or open or ethically non-monogamous? Ah, oh, I think that we really, you know, initially it definitely was about all the dirty sex. And then, <laughs> um, you know, really, you know, that we have so much love to give and that, you know, we, we know great people and, and it's just really wonderful to get to, to step beyond what, the expectations are as far as like relationship rules and society and I feel like there's so much pressure put on like the couple in in what's expected in romantic love situations and the person is supposed to be just everything they're supposed to be you know your lover and your best friend and they're supposed to build you up and they're supposed to help you grow and they're supposed to support you when you're down and they're you know supposed like we just, we, we have a lot of big expectations on one person, on one relationship. And I really don't believe that that is, is reasonable or doable. And, you know, we don't expect people to, to all have the same interests in friendships and stuff. You know, you can have your people that you, you know, play role-playing games with and your people who you, you know, watch sports ball if you do that. Or, you know, like you have so many different friends and groups and different interests that that's fine but somehow when it comes to romantic relationships the person's supposed to be like all the things and that's just a lot of pressure to put on anyone and it's I think why a lot of relationships crumble because they just can't sustain that so I think a big part of of 
why we're polyamorous is related to that and related to finding people to fulfill other needs in our lives. And, you know, we, we occasionally chuckle and laugh about like another polyamory success story when, when, you know, my partner Flick gets to go and watch um, like shows like Vikings or Game of Thrones with his girlfriend because I don't want to watch that violent stuff. So, you know, he gets to have that. He gets to snuggle with his person and, and experience those shows. And I'm like, yay, go do that with her. And it just, yeah, it, it just having more people, having more love, just having that, that more connection in our lives. And I think we're really missing that a lot. Why did you agree to be interviewed? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm an exhibitionist, both physically and emotionally. <laughs> so yeah, always happy to share all the things. Nice. Well, thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. All right, and we are back uh, talking with Kat Stark about their book, Waking Up Polyamorous. And I just wanted to ask, what was the inspiration for writing this book? And was it somewhat autobiographical? The The inspiration was, it It did somewhat come out of nowhere. It I was prompted to even consider writing a novel um, when I was chatting with Cooper Beckett, who's written a few novels and is on Life on the Swing Set. And he was like, 
why don't we try writing a book? Like, let's do like a, a NaNoWriMo kind of thing, even though it was April. Um, and I was like, I don't have a novel, like, you know, and we chatted a bit and he's like, no, just give it a go. And um, so I decided, okay. And I really, the only scene I even had in my head was the opening scene where she's like waking up in bed and sort of looking for her partner and then realizes, you know, he's staying at his girlfriend's that night and just sort of jumping on from there. And so I just kind of started with that scene and just started to write. And I have in the past written a certain amount of like dirty fan fiction. <laughs> and so I just kind of, when I used to do that, I would just kind of let it go. And I would just keep writing and try not to judge it too much and see what came out of it. So every day I would just sit down and try to pound out some words and the story kind of told itself somehow. Um, it's, it's definitely not autobiographical, but there are snippets from our lives that I, that I put in and kind of fictionalized. Um, I, I would say that sort of even the title, The Waking Up Polyamorous, did did come a little bit from our lives where we were just kind of kind of winging it and let, like, let's try this, let's try this. And kind of next thing I knew, there was this polyamory and I was like, oh, holy crap, we're in the deep end here. Um, and a few of the other situations definitely came from experiences we'd have in our we'd had in our lives like the babe bang is something that I have done for birthdays and it's been amazing um, wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and yeah I just sort of occasionally would find sort of moments in our lives that I would kind of grab from and then often the first draft they were much more reflective of what our experience was but when I went through the edits and the rewrites and after I'd gotten the feedback from the beta readers and stuff, it it became much more the experiences of the characters and, and changed quite significantly um, from what they initially were. So when you commented that uh, you had previously written a lot of dirty fanfic, I feel like that shows in the book in the sense that it's clear you had a lot of fun writing the sex scenes. Yes, I did. <laughs> um yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of fun and occasionally would have to take some breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any particular favorite sex scenes to write? Oh, um, you know, it's like it's when you write a book, there's so much content that it's often really hard to go back and even remember what was contained in it. That's fair. Um <laughs> Well, so I think I think all of them were pretty fun to to write. I <laughs> I think I I really got some thrills from like the the dirty bathroom sex scene with with Natalie and Sid that you know they they sort of meet eyes at, and lock eyes at this party and sort of sneak off and have this quick little tryst and um, that definitely really sort of hot in my brain. So um, <laughs> that one was one that I enjoyed. So I actually, uh, while I was reading uh, your novel, I was writing down how many different like kinds of sex I was seeing because <laughs> it was so interesting because I've, I've read romance novels, I've read smutty novels, and usually it's either like a lesbian couple or a gay couple or a heterosexual couple, and it's just one or two different types or styles of sex that's happening or ever like depicted. And so when I was 
seeing uh, all of this different representation in your book, I was just like, I have to make a list because this is so, so different. And the, the list I came up with was there is heterosex, there is gay sex, there is group sex, including threesomes. There is trans sex depicted, uh, kinky BDSM sex, pegging, swinging, romantic as well as casual sex, a gangbang, toy and strap on sex, as well as squirting. And that is an insane amount of stuff. (laughs) And awesome. (laughs) Wow, that... I, I mean, I'm I'm incredibly thrilled to hear that because I, I don't think I was even aware that that I was doing that. Well, um, and if it's like the way you have sex is all this variety, it would be it's normal. Right. But and I, and I wouldn't say that that variety isn't prevalent in my life because I am poly and I have had a lot of different experiences. But I imagine if a monogamous vanilla person opened up this book that they would notice, you know, <laughs> they would be like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but I did want to know, like, um, was it important to you to have, like, all this kinds of representation and inclusivity? Because I think it really shows. Yeah, I, you know, I guess there, there was a slight bit of consciousness of, of having like a real variety of characters and, and different experiences. But as you said, like, most of this sex was the kind of sex that I have. And so it, like it's it's all there in in our you know somewhat regular lives. So this this is what sex looks like to me, and this is what sex looks like to a lot of the people that I know. And so I think, yeah, being able to represent that that's what sex looks like it is a really good feeling, and um, to be able to step away from sort of the expectations of you know what a a sex act between a man and a woman is going to look like um, and and being able to, to shake that on its head because I would say that like classic like PIV with a bio penis is the rarest kind of sex that I have <laughs> and it's you know it's it's sort of the typical you would expect in most like romance and that sort of thing but yeah in in my lived experience you know, I can think of like four times I've done that in the last year compared to the other kinds of sex that I've had in, in the past year is, is pretty significantly different. That's awesome. I did have a comment that I wanted to make, but I feel bad because I can't remember the character's name. Um, That's okay. <laughs> I, so first of all, I really enjoyed that you included um, a parenting in the book because mm-hmm. I feel like particularly Ooh. in you know, a book with a lot of very interesting sex scenes, you wouldn't necessarily expect that. And uh, I really, uh, as a parent, appreciated that. And I liked the relationship between the mom and her boyfriend. So I really appreciated that uh, you included parenting and the relationship that non-parent poly partners might have with uh, a partner who has children and the relationship with their children and how that kind of develops organically and can be enriching to everybody. Um, And that's something that I felt like I could relate to uh, from the point of view of the parent, but also that I, I feel like, and you know, I can't speak for any of my partners who are not parents, but I have a partner who is not a parent who has a very warm relationship with my kids. And I, I feel like that was a reasonably accurate representation of that experience. Um, so it was really interesting to 
see from that point of view. And I really, uh, I've just appreciated it. Well, that's great to hear. Because yeah, like it's, you know, again, that's not our exact experience at all. But my partner Flick's girlfriend, who's in town here, um, has two kids. And, you know, he spends a lot of time out at their place. And so obviously, he's developed a relationship with those two kids. And, you know, we didn't have children, and we deliberately chose not to have children. And I am the least maternal person in the entire universe, except when it comes to my cats. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like I just don't have the thing where you really feel like you connect with kids. Um, and so I'm really glad that he gets to do that because he's way better at it. And he gets to have that in his life in a way that that you know we didn't ever have and deliberately opted not to have but it's really cool to see those relationships happen and and the way that he gets to have more of that experience in his life um that we didn't that we just didn't do so i like in the book that there's kind of a wide variety of of different poly issues that come up um you know whether it be like jealousy or insecurity or like the feeling of abandonment from the protagonists. And uh, I was just kind of wondering while I was reading it, because some of them go really in depth, almost to like a therapy level of like, what is going on with this character and where the motivation for that feeling and behavior is coming from. Like, how did you decide on the poly problems that they were going to go through? Because they seem so real. Yeah, uh, I would say probably a lot of the issues that are brought up are a lot of the stuff that I pulled from our own lives, um, because a lot of them are things that I have felt or have experienced, like the frustration with dealing with a partner who is who exhibits some of these either behaviors or, or or thought patterns or that sort of thing, and so a lot of a lot of Natalie's inner dialogue is a lot of my inner dialogue, so I will definitely confess to that. Um, and so, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I'm definitely an overthinker, and I'm someone who has, you know, attempted in vain to intellectualize myself out of having complicated feelings. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, if I can just think about it hard enough, then, you know... I'll, the rational brain will, will kick in and I won't feel this bad thing anymore. Right, sure I'll start feeling the way I think I'm supposed to feel. Yes, mm. exactly. And so I've, I've learned, you know, how ineffective that is, even though I regularly try to do it. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that that came up in those in those feelings and, and the difficulties with the emotional um, issues that come up with polyamory are drawn from a lot of the stuff that we've experienced and have experienced with other partners and that sort of thing. That makes a lot of sense. I really feel like you can you can feel how real the issues and that character going through them, they, f- they felt really real and it felt like almost going through therapy with the character. <laughs> <laughs> and in some ways it really actually helped me to to write some of the stuff because it helped me empathize more with the other side of some of the situations in ways that sometimes you're just like really frustrated with behavior and you're just like, well, you just fucking stop that. Um, but in writing out sort of 
from the character's point of view where that might be coming from and looking at it in these different ways, I now am able to to be more understanding and more empathetic. And so you can still be a little annoyed with behavior, but somehow seeing where it comes from makes it easier to, to work around. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice for people is is maybe start writing, uh, uh, even if you're not a writer, but start start writing about your poly problems and maybe they you'll be able or or from the perspective of the person you have a problem with or that is continuing to have an issue that might be a a good way to almost like a therapy tactic to get to the solution yeah for sure because i mean writing has always been the way that i've processed a lot of the difficulties that we've had and you know that's where my my first book the yelling in pasties wet coast confessions of an anxious slut uh (laughs) came from was like blog posts and that sort of thing as i was like working my way through a lot of the stuff um but yeah as an exercise to like write from your partner's point of view because it's not like i'm a big jerk and i'm not sensitive (laughs) and you know i don't care about your feelings because like that's sometimes what we put upon them but obviously that's not where they are looking at it and if you sort of put yourself in them as the protagonist and sort of see where it might be coming from it does make it uh, definitely easier to understand and it's definitely a good way to sort of hone your empathy skills yeah, definitely. And I felt like even just reading um, the book in the beginning, the poly problems that were happening, I felt like were very new poly problems, you know, like insecurities and, and jealousy things. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, wow, I haven't. Luckily, I felt like I haven't had that issue for like 10 years because I've been poly for so long. But then getting into the book, there were more problems that I'm like, oh, I'm dealing with that right now. Oh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of different um, different like new and old poly problems that kind of are uncovered. Or even just like the, uh, the there was a, a scene in the book with a, a condom mishap. And that ha- that can happen at any point in any relationship. And Absolutely. I've had that happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I know so many people who have had that happen. Mm-hmm. And it's an issue. Well, it's maybe, you know, it can be as much or as big of an issue depending on the the kind of boundaries and agreements you have. But sometimes it's a really big issue. And I know for me, it was a really big issue. So I, I I definitely sympathize with how big of an issue it was with that character as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really tried with the stuff that I was writing about with, in regards to that as trying to balance out the like, holy shit, this big thing has happened with the, like, you know what? Here's all the rational reasons why it's not that big a deal. And I think there's so much of the, like, STI fear that we have um, in non-monogamy. And, you know, a certain amount of that is very legitimate, but a certain amount of it is just so overblown and overwrought that I sort of, I was really trying to be, like, writing our sort of reactive, thing which we all we have that initial reaction and then we sort of sit and think about it and it's like okay here are all the the rational pieces in it and then we you know we often bounce back and forth between the you know freak out and the rational but I felt it was really important to present the the rational pieces of that because you know it's a really it's a really legitimate piece of of what we're all going through. Well, and I appreciated that it was not set up as like the rational versus the emotional, like it was kind of all 
blended together and different characters had different thoughts and feelings about that at different points in the discussion. Mm -hmm. Which I think is very human. Like, it's not like we are one dimensional characters where we have only one reaction to whatever kind of crisis there might be. Yeah. And, you know, I've said before talking about even like um, jealousy or envy and compersion, you know, they're often talked about as being opposites, but the number of times that I have felt those emotions simultaneously and paradoxically is, is huge. And so a lot of the time we are having these warring thoughts and emotions at the exact same time. Absolutely. So yeah. We're not bouncing back and forth and it's like, okay, my brain is thinking this now. And yeah. I'm going to think this, like it's, it's all just happening at once. And Absolutely. Yeah. I had an experience recently where uh, a partner went um, on a trip with another partner, um, as happens in the book. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I also had a lot of jealous feelings about that experience. But we were able to, I mean, just even owning it and naming it for what it was brought it back into perspective, you know, into a significant extent. But like you said, I was feeling compersion at the exact same time, like they were going to go do something that was really fun, that my partner was super excited about doing, and they were going to see old friends, and they were going to see music. And like, I wanted them to go have this amazing experience. And I was also jealous that they were having it with somebody who was not me. Yeah, for sure. And and a lot of the time, the pieces that we're jealous or envious of are not the pieces that people expect. So, you know, for when two of the characters go off on a trip, the other one is like, but you're going to this place I want to go. And so that was what was sort of the most upsetting thing about the whole thing. Um, you know, once they'd sort of gotten through the communication issues with it. But, you know, that was one of the things. And that has often been the stuff that has pinged for us, you know. And, and I'm not someone who really believes in a lot of rules. I'm, you know, feel like boundaries and, and washing our own behavior is what happens. But sort of one of our rules is that, you know, he's not allowed to go to somewhere tropical without me. <laughs> like, I was just like, I can deal with anything you can't go somewhere tropical without me and yet like this year I actually went somewhere tropical without him um, <laughs> but it's not the same piece for him as it is for me and so sometimes we just you just need to accept like something unreasonable about yourself or you know or about your partner and just be like okay this one like unreasonable thing I can work with it right and uh, for me that was that was it so who do you think your target audience is for this book <laughs> I think that that was definitely one of the questions that some other author friends gave me who are much more into the the sort of industry of <laughs> writing um, because you're supposed to like categorize everything and aim at certain markets and stuff whereas I was really writing this book kind of for me so I guess for people like me <laughs> the target audience I, I did a reading not that long ago at our public library and that was really cool and it, as it turned out the person who the staff member who was assigned to to run the event happened to be polyamorous and queer and they just were 
they were so excited to hear, you know, snippets from this book that that represented like conversations that they have with their partners and stuff. And they're like, we just, I don't see this in, in books, in writing. And so it's, you know, it really, I think is aimed sort of for people who are non-monogamous, who are polyamorous. I think a lot of other people could, could enjoy it because I think a lot of relationship troubles are the same regardless of whether, you know, of your relationship style. It's not like monogamous people never get jealous or there's poor communication or anything like that. So I think, yeah, I think lots of people could enjoy it, but it's, yeah, it's probably definitely aimed at people like us. I did enjoy your outing of the entire library profession. (laughs) (laughs) They're a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. Nice. Do you have plans or are, are maybe in the works of doing an audiobook? I, I, I've definitely been thinking about it. The, the audiobook for Yelling and Pasties almost killed me. Oh. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not entirely exaggerating. Um, it, was, it was terrible. And so I am trying to figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't almost kill me. And... Because like I'm the everything, you know, I I am the editor and you know all of this stuff as well, and I really hate sound editing. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was quite a thing. So I'm trying to figure out if I could let someone else read it, and so maybe hire someone to do the work, and not have to have the, you know, the 36 hour nonstop editing thing at the end, um, where I just was like, I have to get this done. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I would like to do it as an audiobook. I would, I would like to have it out there as an audiobook because I really like audiobooks, but I'm just, I haven't quite gotten to the place where I can either like hire someone cause it's expensive and being an indie author is not a money making scheme. <laughs> um, or whether I'm just like, you know, suck it up, start, like, let's get to work on this and just mm-hmm. decide to do it on my own. And the reason I ask is because you're a voice on Cooper Beckett's audiobook. Aren't you the main character? I've or... definitely done a couple of his books and, and been, yeah, one of the main characters in, in one of the couples. Um, but he had to do all that editing. Oh, I that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> you know, if, if Coop or someone else wanted to do all the editing, like, I'm happy to read the book. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the editing part. And, you know, I, I edit our podcast, uh, on the wet coast, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty uptight and try to do as much fussy work as I can, but a podcast is, is different again from an audiobook, which has to be so much cleaner sure. and you yeah. have to be so, so finicky about every single word. And it's, yeah, it's really quite, quite an experience. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess I don't think about it. I was, I'm always like, oh, I could, if I could listen to an audiobook in five hours or whatever it is, how long could it possibly take? And then I do 30 minutes of a, editing of a podcast. And I'm like, that took three hours. How the fuck did, <laughs> how did an audiobook ever come into existence? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is astounding how many hours you can spend on like 10 minutes of something. And <laughs> definitely near the end I sort of got to the it's fine it's got to be fine it's just fine um because yeah I just could not physically 
do it anymore. I was like having these terrible spasms and I would like text flick from the other room being like, can you get me some Advil? And he wouldn't get the message for like an hour and then would come in and the bathroom is like 10 feet away. But I just oh. could not actually get up and walk to the bathroom to, to get some Advil because I just was like, I cannot leave this chair or I will never come back. Yep, I've I've had some editing nights where I'm like, or or in the very beginning of this podcast, we were recording on a, a tiny tablet with not enough like room on it and things would just get lost. And I wanted to rip my hair out. And luckily, we have upgraded everything since then. But oh, it was so stressful. And And both of you are making me feel very much uh, privileged to be somebody (laughs) who just comes in and has these amazing conversations. And then Lindsay does all the work. Yeah, it's, it's good to be that person. I I would say stick to being that person. Don't get sucked in. Uh, so I, I I think it's really important for for poly folks out there to write and and share their experience, whether it's written or blog porn, blog porn, yeah, yeah, well, blog porn yeah. could be fun too. Uh, whether it's written or yeah. in uh, blog form, or if if it's in um, uh, podcasting or wh- however however one will share, um, I think it's really important. But do you have any advice for like potential poly authors? I you know do it basically (laughs) is is just sit down and and write it I think that's where we all get really lost is worrying about like is it good enough and you know is this going to appeal to enough people but like write it for you if for no one else uh, because you will discover that it ends up speaking to a lot of people when you do it but you know being able to just sit down and and write the words and pound your way through it and when the voices are coming up that it's like this is the worst crap that's ever been written and I'm like let's see if I can make it even worse and I just (laughs) keep going Um, because you know you can like you can fix it in editing you can fix a lot of stuff in editing fix it in post Um, (laughs) but it's like just get the, the words like on the paper or in the you know the laptop and figure out like where, like, uh, like what places inspire you. And if you can't like sit and write in your house, if if you prefer to write in a coffee shop or sit in a park or go to the library or or whatever, like just find the places that you feel most inspired. And you know the formats the same thing. Like I handwrite almost everything and then type it up. And I am forty six, um, but it's like that just works for me staring at like a an empty word document or whatever i it's really intimidating for me but staring at a lined piece of paper and i have my little pen and i i can scribble and cross things out and put a big arrow and like that that really works for me so i think like figuring out your process and figuring out you know the ways that you can can you know get ahead of you know the brain stuff that comes up is can tell I'm an anxious person that I'm like always having to battle um, my inner monologue and you know I'm less critical of myself on paper because it's like oh yeah I'll type that up later and fix it um, so yeah just like just just do it just write it totally and I think that like as a as a writer myself I have um, I've been poly now for 12 years and when I started dating as, as a poly person I was in college going to school for creative writing so of course that became a big source of inspiration and I have stories from literally 
10 or 11 years ago of like, I'm going to write a short story about a polyamorous couple. And now reading it, it's like a little time capsule because that's what I felt poly was. And it has 100% changed as to what I feel it is now or how it how it works for me. And reading it now, I almost cringe. I'm like, oh, no, baby Polly. Like, that's so weird. Why did I think those things? But also, it's really cool to look back at that. And, and like, that was that was the, my Polly experience up to that point. Yeah, and you could totally write a book, like, compiling that and, and like, you know, going on that journey. You know, a lot of that for, you know, my Yelling and Pasties book was a lot of that, but written in, like, blog form and about real life. But when I when I was piecing it all together and going back and looking at these early essays I'd written, and I was just like, what was I thinking? Like, how on <laughs> earth did I think that that was the way it worked? Um, and, and it's quite... Yeah, it's it's really quite an experience to have that, but I think people also need to see that, you know, to see that that sort of journey and and where we start and where we end up, and um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating, and yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm very much pro, like yeah, throw all that together, you can totally make a book. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any other questions? To no, ask? I think no? that's it. All right. So what? Um, so how can people find you? But promote your stuff, please. <laughs> sure. And how can people um, buy your well, book too? All of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the website where you can find like sort of all of the content in the podcast and stuff is on the wetcoast.com. That's wet, not west. And uh, I am I'm Cat Stark uh, on Twitter. That's at wetcoastcat and. Um, How can people buy the, the book? Oh yes, on the to buy the book, um, there's definitely links on the website. There, you can find it on Amazon if you want, like a paperback copy. There's also ebook versions of of both that and uh, of Waking Up Polyamorous, my new novel, and Yelling in Pasties, my memoir, um, is available on Amazon. Or if you want an ebook, you can get it sort of at any of the ebook retailers. And uh, Yelling Pasties is available uh, in audiobook form through Audible, audible.com. And, and since it almost killed you, to... people should probably contribute. Like... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Make it have been worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, and we have the podcast uh, that my partner Flick and I do uh, that's called On the Wet Coast as well. Oh, and one last question. Do you have any plans for any new books? I've There's a lot of stuff in my brain. Um I have been doing a certain amount of explorations um, as a unicorn this year. And, you know, I mean that in the most like fun, consensual way. way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That uh, I know there's, there's a lot of, you know, controversy in uh, polyamorous circles about unicorns, but um, just, I enjoy group sex and I enjoy getting to be, the gateway slot um, <laughs> to, oh I love like, that I I enjoy just getting to be the person because I'm so comfortable in who I am so if it's a couple that is nervous or or whatever like I I like being able to to sort of you know guide people along in that process so I've been doing some ex- explorations um with that this year and I'm hoping to perhaps get uh, a book out of out of that and I've also been pondering a lot about sort of my my cynical approach about love and perhaps writing something sort of again nonfiction about that and uh so there's a lot of stuff 
you know, ruminating in my brain, but uh, nothing firm in the works. That's awesome. I'm doing research, though, currently on the unicorn stuff, so that's fun. That sounds like fun research. Yeah, that sounds like fun research. <laughs> also, I think the title of the book being Gateway Slot is a really good idea. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've, I've thought about having that as a topic, um, just like being a consensual unicorn, because it is such a... Uh, kind of buzzword in the poly community of of being like an abusive term. And I agree that it usually is, but consensual unicorn is something that we don't come across all the time. Yeah. And I, you know, in my, my profiles and stuff, it's like, I, you know, I ain't looking to join any triad. Like, this is not, <laughs> like, this is, this not is a short term relationship. Um, but yeah, I'm happy for us to all have fun. And, you know, I, I think friend sex is my favorite sex. So we can make that work awesome fantastic well thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed and for talking with us about your book thank you it was really wonderful chatting with you too and that is it from us at polyamory uncensored we have been Lindsay miller and katie williams we'd like to thank podcast husband rob for being our sound engineer and thank you Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.